The issue I have with surgery is it doesn't acknowledge the reason for those lesions forming in the first place. To me, it's an indication of an imbalance. I look at it as your body put it there so your body can unput it there. Whatever's causing that imbalance, we've got to figure out what is that. And then we work on that and supporting the body and providing for the body. Doctor said you got PCOS. Now go on, girl, just lose some weight. Till I took the symptoms into my own hands and reversed them naturally. So I became a dietitian and helped my sisters feel the best they've ever felt. Take a step in my direction if you wanna prove them wrong. Welcome everyone another episode of A Sister and Her Mister. Today we have Melissa Turner with us. She is a leader in the endometriosis community. Her REACH technique, she's able to help women with endometriosis. She's actually one of the first women to start writing about endometriosis. She has transformed the lives of thousands of women around the world and taught them how to manage endometriosis. Welcome, Melissa. Welcome. Lovely to be here. Thank you, guys. <laughs> yes. Thanks so much for joining us. Yes, we're so happy to have you. We've heard you talk about endometriosis on numerous other podcasts, and we were like really looking forward to have you on here and just really uh, teach our community about endometriosis especially because it's it's a condition that's many times confused with PCOS as well. Many women don't know if they have endometriosis or PCOS. So I think all this year today is going to be really, really insightful. Yeah, fantastic. It's always good to spread the word and get women more informed about what could be going on with their bodies. Yeah. Many women listening are curious to know maybe if they do have endometriosis or maybe they're going from doctor to doctor trying to figure out the reason for symptoms. So if you if we want to start this off by talking about some of the signs and symptoms of endometriosis and how someone would know if that's something they're struggling with. Uh, the biggest sign is is really pain is one of the biggest uh, indicators. Not all women do have pain, but probably I'd reckon if I was to put a figure on it, I'd say probably 80% of women with endometriosis have pain. And that pain typically comes with your monthly. But of course, when you have PCOS, there's, you know, not that consistency with your period. So sometimes it can be hard to actually see if that is a, a factor. Uh, pain can also come with sex. So deep penetrative sex can often be painful. And there's other overlaps with endometriosis that are found with particularly digestion. So there tends to be digestive issues. There tends to be IBS type symptoms, which where this is where often a misdiagnosis can occur, where women have those, you know, digestive issues and they put it down to IBS. Meantime, it's it's often endometriosis. So, but the biggest one mm. is really pain is the biggest indicator. Do you mean like pain every single day? It depends. Um, I have have had women who have pain every single day. And I know for myself, I used to have pain every single day. Um, but normally it's around the monthly, you know, so before your period, during the period and after. 
there's also a lot of inflammation. So there's a lot of bloating around that time as well. That was a big sign for me because I used to have incredible bloating just afterwards where I literally looked like I was three months pregnant. And I remember, you know, people pointing it out to me saying, oh, you know, what's going on? Are you pregnant? You know, Um, so So yeah, uh, luckily people don't really ask that question anymore. But, um, you know, when... (laughs) I was growing up, it was kind of, yeah, it was always a little bit embarrassing for me and, you know, feeling really conscious of that. So, yeah, but that is a key indicator because it it is a sign of inflammation and endometriosis is very much an inflammatory condition, um, as we have discovered, as, as so is PCOS. So, yeah, seeing that overlap is quite interesting. And I guess we should have said this in the beginning, but it sounds like you basically, you have endometriosis, but you, you were to like reverse your symptoms and kind of uh, like thrive with endometriosis, if that if that would be the correct term. Yeah. I mean, you, you know, you've got to be mindful of the terms you use, <laughs> but yeah, uh, at the end of the day, I don't feel that I have endometriosis anymore. I don't experience pain. I don't have any of the symptoms anymore. And I was diagnosed with stage four endometriosis. I went through very much the conventional approaches and tried all the hormone treatments. I was on the contraceptive pill for many years and endured seven surgeries. And oh, wow. Wow. Yeah, it was really after that last surgery that I just went, I just can't anymore. (laughs) It just wasn't an option anymore and had to find a different way. And and I'd always dismissed sort of the natural approaches to me. It just felt whimsical or or weak. You know, I didn't really think that it was powerful enough considering I had stage four, you know, I felt that, oh, there's got to be something more powerful that can help me with this. And Um, But once I started adjusting my diet and started looking at those aspects and really noticed the difference and it made me so excited because I was like, wow, just by cutting out gluten, I can dramatically reduce my pain. And it was quite unbelievable, you know, and I still I'm sure you guys get the same where people are like, how can it be so simple, you know, but yeah. um, you know, it's, it's, yeah, we dismiss natural, but really when we think about it, our bodies were made out of nature, you know, from Mm -hmm. single cells we were made. So, you know, why do we not trust in, in these (laughs) natural abilities? Um, So true. Yeah. I think sometimes like Western medicine is so effective that we always believe that like, you know, like or surgery or, or anything in that nature is really the best way to kind of, you know, help with the condition. But like you mm-hmm. said, sometimes the natural approach, a diet lifestyle can actually be even more powerful, but it's sometimes forgotten just because of how effective like Western medicine can be. Yeah, definitely. I know I dismissed it. And, you know, really, unfortunately, with surgery, we are creating an inflammatory response simply through that process. So it actually is slightly counterintuitive. <laughs> yeah. Um, I'm not dismissing surgery. It certainly has its place. But with me, for instance, I was literally on a surgery merry-go-round. I oh. went in every year and a half and it was like clockwork. And I never considered that as, as a factor. So when you're cutting into the body, the body is going to try and heal that. And so there goes inflammation ramping up and there goes adhesions ramping up. And unfortunately, those are two of the key contributors to endometriosis itself. 
So, you know, can, and, and that's really the <laughs> struggle sometimes. <laughs> can you explain what's going on with endometriosis and how, I want to say how surgery could help or why surgery is suggested? Yeah. Yeah. So basically what's happened, and I'll really try and simplify this, is there are simply dispersed cells in the wrong space. So that's really the simplistic version of it. So you've got these cells, they're called endometrial cells, and they disperse themselves inside of the abdominal cavity. So they're not meant to be there. So they sit outside of, of the organs typically. So outside of the bowel, outside of the bladder, um, on the outside of ovaries, you know, pretty much anywhere in that abdominal cavity. And what happens is those cells grow and fluctuate as we do with our monthly. And because of that, they get sticky, you know, so if you imagine it's it's blood and it's stagnant and it's not moving, it gets sticky and there is an inflammatory response towards those cells. So the immune system basically goes, oh, these cells are in the wrong place. Let me try and heal this area. And it drives inflammation to them. And in mm -hmm. that inflammatory response, that's where a lot of that pain comes from. But that's also where then those lesions naturally fluctuate and grow and also adhesions form. And it's the adhesions, which are actually really the bit that causes a lot of long-term damage, you know, so adhesions between organs causes restriction. Um, the inflammatory response might cause like the fallopian tubes to become blocked uh, wow. There might be restriction on the ovaries, you know, so all of that would have an effect on an ability to get pregnant. But also you can imagine the pain that would be associated with that. So the minute mm -hmm. you start restricting Absolutely. organs, you know, you struggle to go to the toilet because now suddenly the bowel is restricted and it can't naturally it's supposed to pulsate, if I can say that, you know, so to, to try and evacuate basically so the minute mm -hmm. you have restriction in that area you're going to have pain in that area the and same with the bladder you know um, now where you would use surgery is if those adhesions are so severe that that is restricted you know to the point where it becomes difficult to go to the toilet or it might restrict mm. the kidneys or you know and that's where it can become quite dangerous so that's where surgery would be required and I'm so curious, what does the surgery do to the adhesions? So basically what they try and do is, is they minimize those adhesions. So they'll actually cut the adhesions so that those organs can move freely again. Oh. Um, uh, depending on the type of surgery, they, they will also go in and try and remove the endometriosis lesions themselves. Mm -hmm. Wow. And there's different types of surgery. So there's ablation where they literally burn off those cells. And you can imagine that that would create further, you know, sort of inflammatory responses yes. for the body to try and heal. Um, but there's also a type of surgery called excision surgery where they actually remove the cells. You know, they describe it as removing the cells from the root. The issue I have with surgery is it doesn't acknowledge the reason for those lesions forming in the first place. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of discussion and, you know, sometimes arguments about how these came about, but to me, it's an indication of an imbalance. And yeah. I look at it as your body put it there. So your body can unput it there. 
whatever's mm-hmm. triggered that reaction, you know, as no different to PCOS, whatever's causing that imbalance, we've got to figure out what is that. And then we work on that and supporting the body and providing for the body. It's not that, you know, the diet changes and the things that we do, it's not a, a simple mathematical equation of, oh, let's take out gluten, let's take out dairy, and then that's going to equal healing. It's not as simple as that. And and Uh I'd love to say that it is. It's really about what is driving inflammation. And yes, gluten and dairy are, are some of the triggers. And how do we support the body? And that is the question I actually pose to my, you know, subscribers a lot more because there's very much this restrictive mindset of let's cut everything out. Let's cut out dairy. Let's cut out uh, gluten, you know, but then what are you eating instead? Yeah. And so, so you know, how do we you nourish? You easily replace gluten and dairy with more processed. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Inflammatory Food, foods. Inflammatory yeah. If you don't do it foods, right. Because right. it sounds like even if you have surgery, if you don't eat the root cause, as you, as you mentioned, it can basically create that create the adhesions over again exactly surgery and surgery yeah 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 and and so then we get to scenarios where women are having hysterectomies and and going down that extreme in the hope that that will resolve it you know yeah that's actually common in pcos too like a, a woman being offered hysterectomies without actually giving proper guidance on you know that like what what effect that has on their body down the line and it's mm. it's it's very very it can be very unfortunate yeah yeah and it's it's such a drastic so um, drastic yeah yeah you know and it's and it's like we haven't even given the body a chance you know let's mm-hmm. try some of these natural approaches and really the doctrine of medicine of first do no harm let's really look at that and how yeah. can we first do no harm and, and try all these natural methods and okay if they don't work fine we, we can still opt for those if need be but you know i feel like there's sort of this jump straight to that and and it just feels a little bit unfair like <laughs> the body yeah. has the opportunity you know when it's given a chance so absolutely yeah. I wanted to mention there was a study that showed that going gluten and dairy free for six to 12 months dramatically improved endometriosis uh-huh. and it's so interesting to think that you know six to 12 months is a long time when people the first thing was jump to surgery they haven't given that chance yet of like mm. six to 12 months to really try to commit not just to gluten and dairy free, but the other things that we're going to talk about that can reduce inflammation. And just for anyone who's listening, who might have endo or is still discovering whether they do, you really have to take a period of time in your life to really focus and hone in on these things. If you want to go the natural route, cause it's not overnight. It's not like a quick, like two week diet that may or may not have worked because it takes time to get used to it. It's time to be consistent, to see the results. Yeah. I mean, even six to 12 months isn't even a long time when you consider like, you know, how long we all live and how mm-hmm. long, like the benefits it has on you for the rest of your life, six to 12 months can actually be short when you think, think about it that way too. Exactly. I mean, you know, a lot of these women have endometriosis symptoms for years. You know, I've had clients who, literally were in such agony that they couldn't even hold themselves up 
And they would go through that every single month over 10 years. And they never mm-hmm. got, you know, this is the other side. The diagnosis process isn't great for endometriosis. You know, they mm-hmm. they are looking at um, ways that they can avoid having the surgery as the only form of diagnosis. There are, you know, new technologies coming out now. But, you know, generally it can take women that long to even get a diagnosis. So they're just enduring this pain and just pushing themselves through that. And, and we get it, we often put it down to, oh, that's just woman stuff. You know, you, you pain during your period, that's just normal. That's all women have that, you know, because I guess our mums had it and our grandmas had it. And so, you know, we do yeah. think that that's just part of being a woman. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, but pain is not normal and, you know, hormone imbalance is not normal and it's not normal to have premenstrual syndrome and it's not, you know, these are not normal. These are all signs that your body is actually saying, hey, I'm not quite happy here. Can you help me? Yeah. <laughs> you know. That's so true. It's very interesting because I've read and tell me if this is correct. You have to have the surgery to know mm. if you have at this point yeah I did find some there was some new information coming out that they're now looking at other ways you know so potentially either sort of almost like a pap smear type situation or blood test you know they are looking at different ways they're trying to find ways um, because obviously that surgery in itself like I said is a trigger you know my sister she never had any symptoms her, her you know she she didn't even know she had endo and then they discovered a cyst um that was quite enlarged and so she decided oh she wanted to have the cyst removed and obviously they go in and then they discovered she had endo as well and she said she has her body has never felt worse like because she didn't go down the whole path that i did you know but she said mm-hmm. she never experienced pain before and since she's had the surgery, it's actually worse, you know. Yeah. Wow. So it it really is a case by case, you know. And I'm I don't want to put the false information out there that women shouldn't have surgery, but it's really being much more aware of the risks and the long term consequences. That I think, you know, I know for myself it was such a light decision at the time. Oh yeah. Let's just, you know, half a day, you just go in, they cut you open. (laughs) Like I didn't really, you know, I I don't think I really thought about it that much. And and I was quite young, you know, so I was very, um, I didn't have the strength to really question. Mm. And I think women are a lot more informed now, you know, women a lot more insistent on understanding what's been done to their bodies. But at the time when I had it done, I was just like, oh, well, he's an expert. I'm just going to go with whatever he says. And I did that for 15 years, you know, so, but that's, I think why I do this work, because to me, it's so important that we are more aware and more informed and really the power of natural methods um, needs to get out there. And that's why I'm so excited when I find others who are sharing the same message. Yeah. Absolutely. 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 You're completely right. It's really about the awareness. Like, of course, like you said, it doesn't mean that no one should, no one with endometriosis should get surgery. It's more about just being aware of your options and, you know, other paths you can go down before having that surgery. And, and speaking of, I guess maybe we can dive into some of that for our listeners who are, 
are now like maybe more aware of uh, endometriosis. Could you kind of dive into what areas you focus on when you're treating endometriosis, as well as like how you found gluten and dairy to like really help with the inflammation and other symptoms of it? Did you hear about that sister who took Ovacetol and finally got her period after a year of not having one? Incredible. I see those kinds of messages on Instagram a lot. How does that even happen? Well, Ovacetol helps with healing insulin resistance, a common root issue that most PCOS sisters have. And by targeting insulin resistance, we're seeing sisters kick those crazy cravings, finally regulate their periods, ovulate, and improve their egg quality. Each packet of Ovacetol has a 40 to 1 ratio of myo-inositol and d chiroinositol. This ratio is similar to the ratio that should be found in the body. But with women like me who have PCOS, this ratio is often imbalanced. So taking Ovacetol can be super effective in treating insulin resistance starting from the root of the issue. So awesome. It tastes like nothing. So just warn me when you put it in a cup so I don't drink it. You got it, boo. Check out the link in the description to get 15% off your order. So basically I use a reach technique, which is something I developed because I found people would say, oh, I'm using a natural method. And then when I started asking them what that involved, it would often not be what I would consider a natural or or more the right term is a holistic approach. So, you know, just shifting, like, as you guys know, you know, cutting out dairy and gluten and um, maybe taking some supplements isn't really a holistic approach that is mm-hmm. you know it's it's sort of 10% of the possibility of what you can do to support your body so the reach technique is an acronym and it stands for r is replenish so it's really that is my shift it's not about cutting out it's really you know i have this saying it's it's not about restriction it's about replenishing you know I so it's it's nourishing the body like what foods can we eat that really provide maximum nourishment and that's the shift in mindset it's not oh i can't i can't i can't because you know just by that mindset in itself we're saying well because i have this condition i now can't eat these foods well that's not a very nice way to look at life or you know you're not going to feel very excited about food if, if that's how you're looking at it Whereas if we look at food as, oh, it's an adventure, what can I find out there that's highly nourishing for my body? How can I provide for my body? And really sourcing out the foods that are maximum in minerals and vitamins and phytonutrients and all the, I describe them as tools that your body needs to function well, you know, so If we look at a silly example, let's say you have to change a tire and I gave you nothing but a screwdriver, you would really struggle (laughs) to remove that tire, you know, Um, and it's the same with the body. If, If we're saying, okay, I want you to have normal hormone balance. I want you to feel well. I want you to have energy. I want you to have, you know, um, like be able to have good metabolism and all these things, but yet I'm not going to give you all the right tools to do the job. I'm just going to give you a couple of tools. Well, your body's going to make do because it does, but you're not going to feel great. And so this is where it's really like, okay, what can we find? What are the amazing tools out there that we can give the body? And it's amazing when you do that, how the body does get rebalanced it has the ability to 
fix itself because it's now got what it needs. Um, so often when you start looking into disease, it's disease. There is an imbalance. There is something it's missing. And so a lot of the time it's simply that there's not the right nutrients. And what I found with endo was there was some distinct nutrients that were missing. One of them is selenium, for instance. And um, when I looked into it, they actually give selenium to cows because endometriosis isn't just something humans struggle with. They give it to cows because obviously it's part of the production. They need to have, you know, cows making babies. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> little calves, you know. And so to ensure that they give them selenium because they worked out that that was one of the key minerals to ensure that it, it wasn't something that would develop. Um, like, like for fertility? Yeah. Yeah. So there's many, many nutrients that we need. And, you but know, there's many that are often just, deficient with endo. Um, just to I'm clarify sure. before we yeah. move on. So cows can also get endo? Yeah, yeah. So, so I there's a really old blog on my on my website that's about so this. interesting. Um, because I was like, you know, I basically started my blog in 2010 and it was all about my journey in how to heal myself. And I searched through anything, any information I could find, and I found this really ridiculous correlation with selenium given to cows. Um, I'm wow. so surprised. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm so surprised that they're giving selenium to cows, but they're giving women surgery. <laughs> what is happening? It's like, almost like we are giving the cows the natural method, but we're not. You know, yeah, that's well, because surgery is expensive on a cow. Yeah. I mean, you know, well, yeah, <laughs> and it's, it's profitable when it's, it's women. Profitable you know? when it's women. <laughs> what a shame huh yeah wow. yeah sorry what was your website and your blog just so we could i mean i want you we want you to uh, tell the audience at the end as well but just for anyone who wants to go ahead and read that blog right now where could they find it oh i'd have to give you the link because i don't know the exact link of that particular blog um there is a search box on my blog page so it's indoempower.com um okay. but there is a search box there so they can always just search selenium or you know probably even cow <laughs> not even come up <laughs> but i can share it with you guys after <laughs> perfect oh we'll do that yeah Why so not? yeah so then um really once we've done replenishing and really honed in on the diet and really looking at foods that are highly nourishing and and specifically you know, with the focus on those nutrients that tend to be deficient with endometriosis. Um, the other ones I found was iron. Iron is a big one, um, which, you know, that's where a lot of the fatigue will come from. And the periods often become heavier when there is an iron. It's sort of this weird loop. The body does this quite often. When there's a deficiency, it actually exacerbates the symptoms that actually triggered more of that deficiency. So it's kind of this catch 22. Would the iron help with like the pain symptom of the periods? Not particularly. Um, it's more the heaviness. Um, so when there's a deficiency, there's actually more heavy blood loss, but because the blood loss then also causes more iron deficiency, you know, so oh, it's I see. weird loop. <laughs> I see. So it's really about looking at what is the trigger for that iron deficiency. So, you know, yes, we can go down the path of, oh, let's replenish the iron, which is one step, but I always like to go a bit deeper and say, well, why is there an iron deficiency? 
And what I found interestingly is it comes back to liver. So the liver health and supporting the liver. So that's where we really look at, you know, going a little bit deeper in terms of supporting the liver and healing the liver and those imbalances. So, and that links back to hormone, hormone imbalances. I'm sure you guys know as well is, right. is looking at the liver health. So, yeah, so that's really replenish. And then we move on to E, which is exercise. Um, exercise, I feel, is pretty self-explanatory. Most of us are aware that we should be moving the body. Um, but when we look at endometriosis in terms of what the condition is from a Chinese medicine perspective, they describe it as a stagnation or blood stagnation. And when you look at it, it's almost like a dirty puddle that's sitting in the abdomen. You know, um, the blood's not able to get out freely. There's not enough movement in that space. And when you spend, you know, 90% of your time sitting, you can imagine how easy that is from a surface level to create, you know. So um, really looking at how are you moving your body, how are you creating circulation and, and a good lymphatic flow, which is essentially like a waste removal of that space um, through, mm -hmm. through movement. It doesn't necessarily have to be exercise itself that creates the movement, though obviously that's you know something we encourage, but it can also be massages and using different tools to create that circulation. I would imagine it's maybe like low intensity workouts since like a lot of endometriosis women, like the symptoms you mentioned is like pain, the adhesions. I'm, I'm assuming, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, that it wouldn't be like a intense form of exercise that could exacerbate those symptoms. Correct. Yeah. The, the biggest thing with, with high intensity is actually it drives cortisol and that kind of stress response is not something we want to encourage. Mm -hmm. um, stress in itself is going to drive inflammation. I have had women where they found it beneficial as a release. So it does depend a little bit on, on personal situations, but in general, I found more types of slower tuning into the body type of exercise where you're able to switch off and you're not pushing the body. You know, mm -hmm. there is very much a, a thing that, you know, we need to exercise hardcore and go hard out to get results. And I actually recently did an interview with someone who she found she had fibromyalgia and she found that, and she's a, you know, personal trainer and she just found she couldn't do it. And so she formulated a form of exercise that she's still able to lose weight and maintain a healthy weight without that forcing and that pushing, you know? So we often have this idea that we need to go hard out to get results, but that's definitely not the case, you know, and often with high stress, you're actually compounding the, weight gain because you're stressed yeah. and particularly women. I don't know if that's so true for men. I think women in general, when we feel stressed, the A, it causes the period to become unbalanced because it's, it's almost like, you know, the body is protecting itself. It's going, this is not a good time to have a yeah. baby. So I'm just not going to have my monthly. And this is not a good time to lose weight because I need that protection. I need that sustenance to keep myself through this extremely challenging time. Cause that's how your body's perceiving that stress is 
I'm going through a challenging time. I need that, you know. Yeah, it's, um, it's, yeah. it's a, a, a really good analogy that we make is it's almost like your body thinks you're being chased by a tiger or mm-hmm. some sort of a dangerous thing that's like a predator almost. And it's basically like activating its like survival mechanism. And when it's when that's activated, it's not going to want to be fertile or it's not going to want to have a regular period. So, yeah, it, it makes all sense. Yeah, exactly. And so the next part of the reach technique is is something I called affirm. And it's it's really looking at affirming our love for ourselves, affirming our ability to heal and looking at a lot of those stress responses and what is actually the true trigger of stress. So, you know, oftentimes women will come to me and be like, oh, I'm so stressed. I've got so much to do at work and I'm feeling like, you know, my boss is always on my case and I'm not getting through it. When you look at that stress and look at the stress response, we all go through stuff in life. And it's interesting to look at how different people experience different situations and why is it that some people perceive something as highly stressful and others find it exciting or, you know, they may not find it quite as stressful as, you know, somebody else. And that all comes actually down to how we perceive something you know, how we view life, how we view ourselves. And, you know, through my own experience, I discovered that a lot of that came back to beliefs about ourselves and our ability to actually cope with situations, you know? So for me, a lot of it came down to believing I'm not enough. And so I've got to do more. What I'm doing is not enough. It's not good enough. I've got to keep pushing. I've got to keep doing more and not trusting, you know? So it's a very interesting one when we look at stress because often we think, oh, it's the external things that are causing the stress. It's the, you know, my boss or it's the traffic or it's whatever. Um, But actually it's our personal perception of those events that is something that we we can control and there's power in that. So that's so true that some kind of mental dialogue that everyone has subconsciously, whether we notice it or not, whatever it is, we have to figure out what it is in order to understand why we respond to things a certain way. Yeah. So true. Yeah. And, you know, it's, it's, um, it's so fascinating when we start to uncover some of those beliefs and free some of those beliefs and also really look at, are we telling ourselves negative things all day long and expecting mm-hmm. to feel good? Well, you're not. Um, you know, that is all driving anxiety. That is all driving, unfortunately, that inflammatory response. Anger is a huge one. You know, a lot of the time there's a link with anger and the liver health. So once again, in Chinese medicine, if there is liver issues, they put it down to anger and obviously the two interloops. So when the liver is struggling, your tendency to feel anger is also heightened. So looking at, well, why am I feeling angry? Am I feeling cheated in some way? Why do I feel that way? You know, yeah. and coming back to the the things that we know on a surface level, you know, how can we be grateful for this day and how can we be grateful for this life and what is working well within our body and how can we nurture the body and really shifting our, our way of looking at healing and the journey of healing and, and rather than this rushed kind of anxious approach of, oh, you know, I've got to research this and I've got to spend, uh, sit up till two in the morning looking this up. And, you know, (laughs) I know this all too well (laughs) from 
own experience, you know, um, but actually just trusting, trusting that the body wants to heal and it can heal. And it's really about nourishing and it's a very different approach than looking at it as a problem, because this is something that I also see. It's a problem. I need to fix this problem in my body. Well, when you look at it as a problem, guess where your head space is at? You know, it's it's not honoring the yeah, body. It's in, it's in negativity a lot of times, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, so, and that's really um, the, the A, and then we look at the C, which is the cleanse part, and that is quite a large part of, of the process. Um, there are typically a lot of imbalances when there is nutritional deficiency, they inevitably then also causes other imbalances. So they can be parasites in the body. They can be, you know, worms in the body. They can be poor liver function, poor digestive health. All of these things contribute to a high toxin load and, you know, further imbalances like there's also links with mercury and lead and, you know, even root canals, all these things are attributing to toxin load on the body. And so we look at quite a lot of different protocols in terms of cleansing the body and rebalancing the body. The reason that I created the REACH technique in the order that I have is because a lot of the time when we provide the body with the right nutrients, it actually has the tools to thereby repair a lot of those imbalances by itself. So sometimes, you know, there's this huge push towards cleansing and, oh, I've got to do a detox. Yeah, yeah, that's so true. All this kind of thing. Um, Your body knows how to do that. It's not that silly. It knows how to detox itself. The reason we might need those support mechanisms is because actually your body doesn't have the tools it it has to have to do those detoxes, you know? So maybe there is a deficiency actually, which needs to be addressed first um, and then naturally it can detox. So yeah, you know, I know for myself, I went down all these massive detoxes and they were quite horrendous, you know, mm-hmm. <laughs> not much fun at all. Yeah. I mean, so, they can be, yeah. they can be so enticing because it's, it's, it's like a, it gives you like a step-by-step process to quote unquote, like detox the body and feel better. But I think like when, with your approach, when you're going through replenishing the body, exercise, affirming your, then in cleansing part, once you get to it, a much more simpler process because you've like you say you've already like set up the body with the right tools to begin that process yeah and the body is more supported by that stage you know it's stronger by that stage it's able to go through those detox because a lot of those are very testing on the body and very trying you know if you're going through things and you're let's say you're doing a parasite cleanse well, you're not just killing off the negative, you know, bacteria or whatever it is, you're actually detoxing a lot of the good stuff as well. And you can feel really terrible if you're not supporting yourself with the right nutrients at that point, you know? So that's where a lot of people go through extreme reactions to detoxing, you know, and they go, Oh no, that's part of the detox. You're supposed to feel like that. And it's like, Oh, you don't have to. (laughs) Yeah. So what about H in the REACH technique? Did we cover H? No, not yet. No, we haven't. Not yet. Yeah. So um, H is help and support. And so really looking at making sure that you have a community, you have other people around you, you 
feel supported in your decision to approach this naturally because there is still very much this pressure, you know, even from friends or family or, you know, people around you who'll be like, oh, but why? This is, you know, you need to take this more seriously and you need to do these, you know, sort of more hardcore things and, Mm -hmm. you know, the sort of idea that it's very whimsical. And so having a community and having examples of people who've overcome what you wish to achieve is the key thing here, you know? Mm -hmm. So I get asked that on a daily basis, oh, can this really work? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And, And so having those examples, hearing stories of women who've overcome things that you didn't think was ever going to be possible is really, really important. I didn't have that. You know, when I started my journey, there was nobody talking about endometriosis. I had no examples of women who'd successfully treated it. All I ever heard was, oh, no, you need surgery and take more painkillers. That's all I ever Mm -hmm. heard. And so having other voices in your head of what's possible, I think is really important because the messages that we hear influence how the body responds. So if we're constantly being told, oh, no, 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 there's nothing you can do, just take more painkillers or, you know, the, the messages of doom and gloom, unfortunately, that's what we're going to believe. Yeah, you know, for yeah. sure. Filling us, uh, our heads up with things that are positive and filling our heads up with possibility and hope is much more powerful than we give it credit. I mean, there's a reason why they have placebo in studies <laughs> because the mind is very, very powerful, yeah. you know, um, and placebo basically means, you know, you give somebody a drug that doesn't have any action on the body and yet people still experience positive change. It's so interesting to think that they can give someone a pill and tell them it's for whatever. And then it actually does that without it even having any substance to the, to the supplement or whatever. Exactly. It is. And that's why I love placebo. <laughs> You know, give me placebo any day. You know, if we can believe that something can heal and it does, then brilliant. You know, why would we want to take something that potentially could harm the body that has side effects, you know? Mm -hmm. So I think if we can find those stories and, and hear those stories from others who've achieved what we wish, and the more we can hear those, the better. Um, I mean, yeah. I've got some amazing stories on my website. Um, on the website, it's called Seeds of Hope. And it's literally all these stories of women who, I mean, I had one story of a woman who literally she had stage four endometriosis and she had that diagnosed surgically. And then she did all my protocols and my treatment and she went back and had another surgery and they literally said it did not look like the same person wow. they said wow. to her, the endometriosis is not even barely there and this that's amazing really using natural methods um and this was somebody who had the you know the one i told you who had such extreme pain she couldn't hold herself up you know it would come like labor pain that's how intense it was for her you know so yeah i think the more we can hear that and the more we can confess that the body is it's a mystery you know we don't know we don't know why these things happen we don't have clear indicators of why endometriosis develops I mean I can throw out some theories out there from my own experiences and and research but they don't know 100% on any of these things and so yet the treatments that are offered if you don't really understand it then how can you 
therefore then suggest a treatment. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like to me, yeah, it's like, yeah. well, we don't really know. Let's just give the body all the good stuff. Like cr- let's create an environment where the body can heal. So let's mm-hmm. minimize stress. Let's provide nourishment. Let's move the body in a healthy way. Let's look at the mind and, and really believe that it's possible. Let's look at all the benefits we can provide and then trust that the body knows what it's doing and trust that it can, you know? So, yeah. Yeah. I love your approach. I think that's wonderful. And I can totally see why it is so successful, especially the H part. (laughs) Yeah. Because like like, believing like when you hear other, other people with endometriosis, like, like they're actually able to like, you know, get rid of symptoms, their pain. And they're actually like how they want to live pre endometriosis. It just makes them believe that they can do it themselves. It almost goes back to the to the placebo effect of like believing in something can actually just help you even better because yeah. it like tells yourself that I can actually do this. If we mm. could believe in the natural method, as much as we are convinced of the conventional method, then we would all be in a better place because I feel oh, like 100%. Yeah. it's, it's such a like secondary thing when in fact it should be the primary thing, the primary way of treating an inflammatory condition like endo or PCOS. Mm. And I was going to say that when I had PCOS, I honestly had no idea that it could be reversed naturally. And I was like, doom and gloom. Like I couldn't even imagine, even if I heard like a um, stories of people who have gotten their periods back regular, this, that I was like, uh, it won't happen for me. Like there was a moment where I really (laughs) thought like that, just, this is how I am. I'm broken. And here we are. Mm. And it's like, if somebody initially, when I was diagnosed, just said, listen, you just need to crack the code for your body. You just need to investigate your health. Here are some options you can try and get started with. Mm. I would have had a completely different mindset and not wasted time suffering. We need a reach program for PCOS. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, really reach was something I came up with. Like I said, I just, I couldn't explain what holistic means, you know, holistic from a naturopath perspective is really the whole package. It's not one thing, you know, there's this idea that, Oh, I just need to shift my diet and move my body. And yes, that that will get you very, very far. But if we're stressing out at the same time, like I literally have had clients who I told them, okay, well, we need to adjust your diet. So we're going to cut out a few of these foods that aren't really contributing to health. And we're going to incorporate these other foods. And then I would like you to do yoga every day, you know, and I'd give them a little bit of an indication of what to do. And they literally would make a to-do list. (laughs) They were so stressed out about finishing the to-do list. And I was like, this is really not what it's about. This is about looking into your body and going, okay, I need a breather right now. I'm feeling a bit stressed. I'm just going to take a five-minute space. I'm going to go sit outside. I'm going to listen to the birds or whatever. But it's it's really about nourishing and nurturing the body. And, and it's a very different way. And it's so hard to switch that because we're so into this idea of, I need to go externally to fix this. I need to take something. I need to, you know, do something dramatic, like a detox. Yeah, it's or, like a human you know? nature. Yeah. <laughs> you know, meantime, all you need to do is just 
relax for a minute, just take yeah. a chill pill, just, you know, honor your body. And that's very hard to explain <laughs> to people, yeah, it really um, is. you know, so yeah. yeah, so that's really a holistic approach. And that's what the principles of naturopathy are based on is, is this whole picture and, and creating an environment for healing rather than approaching it. Like, like I said, you know, like an issue, like a problem. Um, yeah. So what made you sort of change your idea that you could heal? I guess I don't remember finding anyone who was like, Instagram wasn't popular at the time when I was diagnosed. So it wasn't like this mainstream thing, the naturopathic approach, but I was just so like repulsed by the conventional approach. It was so unacceptable to me. Like I was told to just accept that my body is like this and you know, maybe I just won't lose weight or these are, you know, symptoms I'm just going to have to deal with. And birth control was my only option. Like I really just like recoiled at the idea because Mm -hmm. I was studying nutrition and I firmly like in just naturally believed, like there is always a way to naturally heal your body because we're not special. Like we're natural as well. You know what I mean? Like we are equal to the oh I think I really like I don't understand like are some kind of like special creature on this planet that doesn't deserve natural (laughs) approach no like I I mean there's a time and a place for conventional as well but like my natural first line of approach in my life was always natural medicine Mm -hmm. and so then I started looking for naturopathic doctors near me and when I went to them, I realized like they were really healing people. Like people were walking out their door thriving Mm -hmm. from whatever inflammatory condition that they had, because they were really looking into like micronutrient deficiencies and gut dysbiosis and diet and lifestyle and everything that like plays into a person's overall well-being. And I was like, this is healing. Like what was what is going on here? Like, what have I been doing? This that also took a while though, because it's like, you know, I was young and like a person needs like coaching and handholding and community and like everything that you mentioned, you, know, you need like that, that support, you know, it's hard to do that right off the bat. It's like a multidisciplinary approach. You need your naturopathic doctor and a yoga instructor and maybe a therapist and a friend and like all these factors by the time I like put all the pieces together it took time you know and so with our approach we try to cut the time and just, <laughs> just like you you have your reach approach just, yeah. You know, yeah step one two three four five like you yeah. know no wasting time yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah it's interesting though because the mind is actually the bit that needs to catch up. You know, I often get this. It's like you get those extremists like, oh, I'm type A and they want to get in there and they want to change everything overnight. And it's like, Mm -hmm. it's the mind that actually needs to catch up. It's, It's the trust. It doesn't come that quickly. We need to experience a pain free period before we can actually think, wow, this does work. <laughs> yes. You know, um, yes. I mean, for me, that was the first thing I was, I couldn't actually believe that I had a pain-free period. The first time I had it, I was just like, this is just phenomenal because I've had it for so long and uh-huh. it becomes your reality. Like that becomes part of your life. And like almost part of your identity is 
I am this broken person, as you describe it, mm. you know, it's like, I am this yes. broken woman. And it really angers me. And it really upsets me when I hear of women who describe themselves as I'm an endometriosis sufferer, or, you know, yeah. or they brand themselves, they literally brand themselves now, with tattoos and stuff. And it's like, you don't need to identify yourself as that. You know, this can be yes. something that passes. This is something that you went through, that you overcame. You know, it doesn't need to be part of who you are as a person. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and, and sort of really looking at that and really looking at also the, there's sort of this interesting thing that that I know I did where it was almost part of my identity wanted to be that victim. You know, part of my identity wanted to be that that broken woman because I got a lot out of that indirectly, you know, (laughs) I didn't want to acknowledge it at the time, but it was certainly something that I was like, Hmm, I can get out of things I don't want to do. Or, you know, if I'm something in my life, I can blame it on the endo or, you know, yeah, I'm in pain. I can't make it to tonight's dinner or something. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was kind of a great one to get out of things. Um, you know, and I didn't realize I was doing that. But it was on reflection that I kind of had to think about that. Like, what am I getting out of this condition? What are the benefits of this? Because on some level, it's very hard to let go of it and not to have that identity attachment to it. So, yeah. Of course, yeah. I mean, anyone can be more than like, no one should think themselves as just a person who has endometriosis. Like you can be more than that, of course, and Hmm. you can overcome it and, uh, and like just just like enjoy life for what it is and not think of it as like how how does endometriosis affect my day-to-day so I, I i really love your approach and how you're really helping with like each step of the reach program and how you're helping people's mindset about it i would love it if um if you share where people can find your reach program where people can find like your website your blog and any other platforms that you have Mm-hmm. So if you go to endoempowered.com, you can find uh, over 500 articles on my blog. And we have a free introductory course all about what endometriosis is. So we actually break it down into three categories of, of the key areas that we focus on, one of them being inflammation, which we discussed today. And then there are different programs available. So depending on where you're at in your journey, so whether it's diet, whether it's um, wanting to shrink cysts, we have all sorts of different programs available. And yeah, and it's it's really about feeling empowered is I think the biggest thing is, is getting knowledgeable and feeling empowered on what you can do to support your body rather than what you can't. Amazing. Absolutely. We, we will put all those in the uh, episode description. So listeners, if you would love to, if you would like to work with Nelson Turner, just check out the description of this episode and you can go directly to her websites and blog. And thank you again for being on this episode. I think this was, this was the first episodes we ever had about endometriosis. It definitely opened our eyes. I'm sure many of our listeners who may have endometriosis as well, it opened their eyes as well to yes. a new world of, you know, treating their endometriosis. So thank you again for being here today. Oh, yes, thank, thank you so much you so for having much. me. <laughs> awesome. It was Absolutely. such a pleasure. All right, sisters. Thank you for listening to today's episode. Stay tuned until next week when we'll be back with another one. So take care. Talk to you soon. Bye. If you enjoyed listening to this podcast, you have to come check out The Sisterhood. It's my monthly membership site where sisters just like you are learning how to move through the stages of PCOS. From stage one, cold and alone at the doctor's office, to stage five, nailing the PCOS lifestyle, gluten and dairy free. Get ready to finally feel in control of your body again.